Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. I'm glad you made it out for best Sunday ever. And let me tell you this, the best Sunday ever is the, the Sunday that you discover that God has a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for you and it's bigger than you thought it was. Um, man, so many of us, just we just live below what God has, has in store for us. And, and today I just want to encourage you and say, God has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your life. And um, just, just, just an incredible, incredible plan. Um, yeah, best Sunday ever. So there's this passage of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, where David is talking to King Saul. So there's a, a king in the Bible that's named Saul. He's, uh, he's the, the first king of Israel. And and David, who is going to become king, is, is talking to Saul about a giant, uh, an enemy that's a, a giant. And uh, he says this, he says, don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I will go and fight him. I will go and fight him. Don't worry about your giant. I will go and fight him. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. Everybody say, don't be ridiculous. Saul replied, there is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly when you're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. And, and this is what I want to talk about today is um, maybe you should be ridiculous. Maybe what God has for your life looks like you being a little more hopeful than your friends might think is reasonable. Maybe, maybe today it would be appropriate for somebody to be ridiculous in their faith because so many of us have become, uh, we've just become inundated with our culture of, of reason and even our religious culture of sophistication that we forget that when we read the Bible, we read about stories of a God that does unreasonable things in crazy situations. A God that meets unrealistic expectations, he's the God of the ridiculous. He really is a God of, of unrealistic expectations. I, I mean, a couple of months ago, or a couple of years ago, actually, uh, two, two years ago, I, I was floating down the Boise River. Has anybody ever floated down the Boise? Uh, like you go from Barber Park down and apparently this year they don't have inflator things at the top so you have to inflate your own thing to go down which is yeah I, I, I understand your pain 
but I also had my son explode his inflatable kayak there, so I get it also. Um, <clears throat> it ruined his day. But we were, we were floating it as a family, and uh, halfway down, uh, down the, the river, there's this concrete block on the right-hand side as you're going down on the north side of the river. There's a concrete block that uh, just above it is a golf course, and... Um, and a lot of the young people will stop at this block and, and jump and do flips and, uh, uh, and, and have a lot of fun there. And so uh, we, had, we had come down uh, there, and, and my youngest boy, since he was young, since he was about five, he, he, he was, he'd just been a, a courageous, adventurous kid. And I, I love this. I, I want my kids to do, like, adventurous things. I, I want them to not be afraid. I just think it's important, parents, that you let your kids try things that could be scary and just show them that it's not scary, that they've got what it takes. We live in a generation of young men that are, are doing ridiculous things now because they, they never believed that they had what it took when they were six. And so <clears throat> that's, that's a word for somebody is <laughs> teach your grandkids they got what it takes. And so, um, <clears throat> and so, so we were, we were jumping, and, and I, I, I ran off the cliff, and I jumped out there, and I had fun. And I got splashed in all these people that were floating down the river. And I came back up to the top, and my, my son, uh, he was standing around a crowd of teenagers, and they were all going, jump, 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 jump. And I've got like this seven-year-old standing there, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? He's, he's seven. And so I run up to him, and I grab, as I grab his hand, he's like, dad, on three. And I said, all right, let's go. And so he's like, one. Two, and like he just takes off, like just no fear, just takes off, jumps off the cliff. And, and me just trying to be a good dad, encouraging the moment, I jump out there with him. And, and my only goal is I want to jump beside him. I want to land right next to him because I want to be there when, when those wild eyes come back out of the water, right? Like I want to be there to make sure he gets safely back to shore. Uh, he's got a life jacket on, but I want to make sure he's okay. And so I jump out with him, and I, all, all I'm doing is just holding his hand and getting right next to him. And, and as I'm about halfway down, I, I realize that his legs are shorter than my legs, and, and he, he's only jumped out about two and a half, maybe three feet from the edge of the concrete block. Which means I'm right next to him about three feet out, directly over the big rocks. And um, when I hit the water, immediately I, I smashed both knees into this sharp rock. And uh, I, I thought, in the moment, I thought I had broken both of my legs. Um, it, it was this, this terrible moment underwater where I'm just kind of, uh, kind of doing the, the test, like making sure everything's okay. Like I'm not swimming, I'm just checking everything while I'm underwater and I, I can't feel my legs and um, I can tell that they're, they're hurt pretty bad. So I come up and I can't, I can't move them. So, uh, so I'm wondering if there's anything else hurt. And I, start, I swim back to shore and I, I find this, this low angled rock and I lay back up on the rock and I'm trying to be tough. My wife is there. I still got to impress her, right? Like 18 years, you still got to impress her. And so I was just, I'm like trying to like get, like get it under control, Roger. Like make, make sure, you know, I'm checking to make sure everything's, um, and, and I, I realize nothing's sticking out, like nothing's broken, but um, my, my knees are just destroyed. Like, I can't walk. There's blood everywhere. Um, it, it, was a, it was not fun. <laughs> it was not fun. And so I got back on the raft and floated the next hour and a half down to, to the park to, so that I could go to the hospital and get stitches. Um, and it was just a, a lot of fun in that moment. 
I, I began the story by telling you I have not floated the Boise in two years. And to, just earlier this year, somebody was asking if we wanted to go. And my wife was like, my wife said, yeah, let's go. Let's go float the river. And, and I just thought, that doesn't sound like a very fun idea. <laughs> I'm just not super as, as excited as it seems. For me, it's associated with a lot of pain, and I just have no interest in floating the river or ever jumping off of anything more than five feet tall. And I think for some of us, when it comes to our faith and our walk with God, we've been through things that hurt. Maybe you went through a divorce that hurt and you prayed that it would go a different way and it didn't go that way. Or maybe you struggled for years with a sickness and because of it, you just struggle jumping off the cliff again. Or maybe just your finances have felt like you smashed your knees on the rocks and it's just really hard to trust that God is going to be your provider. And what happens is we shift from being people of ridiculous expectations of God to people that are very reasonable in our faith, to people that, are, that, that look for what is predictable and what is reasonable, and we play it safe in our walk with God, and we, we, we feel as though we, we can no longer dream big dreams. We, we can no longer trust God for great things, that we can no longer, you know, hope for God's intervention in our lives. And, and we become like the voice of, of Saul. We become our own voice of Saul, don't we? When David says, I'm going to take on this, this giant, and Saul says, don't be ridiculous. And inside of us, there might be a hope that God could do something good, but we have our own voice. We don't need someone else to tell us. We have our own voice that says, no, don't be ridiculous. You need to be reasonable. You need to lower your expectations. And maybe for you, that voice sounds like you are too old to have such big vision for life. Maybe for you, you hear the voice that says you are beyond your prime. You can't expect great things anymore. Or you've already experienced love once. You'll never find it again. Or maybe for you, you're too young or you're too old or you're too educated or you're, uh, you're not educated enough. Or, or maybe you don't have enough work experience. Or maybe in your season, you've got too much work experience. I'm just saying we all develop the voice of Saul that tells us to stop being ridiculous, to stop trusting the God who spoke the world into existence, stop trusting him for incredible things. Instead, just trust him that he will be with you as you figure it out yourself. I just want to say that for me, I just don't want to listen to the voice of Saul in my life. I wrestle with my own voice of Saul at times, and, 
that voice that says that the, the giant is over nine feet tall. He's got an army behind him. You've, you've only got a couple swords in your entire army, and you're going you're gonna to face this guy. Like, you're just wasting your time. Uh, I still choose to not listen to the voice that says, be reasonable. And I choose to listen to the voice that says, we serve a God with no limit. I choose to say that I'm going to show up on a Tuesday, and on Tuesdays we have times of prayer here, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to grab one of these prayer cards, and I'm going to pray over somebody that's walking through cancer, believing that God will heal them. Like, like I'm going to pick up a prayer request of somebody whose child is far from God, believing that God's going to restore them. I just believe God for the ridiculous. I believe God for what is beyond reason, and, and I'm just saying there's something powerful about a church, about a home, about a mother, a father, a grandmother that say, I'm just going to believe God for what others might call unreasonable. Because I don't have to tell you, you know that right now our culture needs a church with the kind of faith that gets a hold of an unreasonable God. Because our suicide hotlines can't keep up right now. And our drug rehabilitation centers have wait lists. And our marriages are struggling to stay together. I'm just saying it's time for some people to say, I'm going to choose to trust God for what may seem unreasonable. In, in the New Testament, there's this, this incredible story of a, of a man that lived a reasonable life. And he has an unreasonable encounter with God. In, in the New Testament, so this is, the New Testament is the portion of the Bible that includes the, from the birth of Jesus until a couple decades after the life of Jesus. And the first four books of the New Testament are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those books are not about any of those four guys. They're, they're all just biographies of Jesus. So if you want to learn about Jesus' life, pick up your Bible and read, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And after those books, there's another book that is called Acts, A-C-T-S, Acts. And the book of Acts is a history. It, it, it's, it just records the history of the early church. It describes how the church begins in the second chapter, and then it it goes on through the first couple of decades of what the church looked like. It just describes it. Can I just tell you that the early church did not look stoic? The early church did not look put together. Uh, it didn't look... So Sometimes we think that orthodox means it's, it's got to be very very reserved, or very very calm, very, very under control. The early church was wild people. They were described as people that flipped the world upside down. And the very first encounter we have with what the early church looks like after it begins is in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, describing what it looked like to be an early follower of Jesus. It says this, And Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in a 3 o'clock prayer service. Come on, somebody, for a middle-of-the-day prayer service. I don't know about you, but I just want to be part of a praying church 
When I'm going through it, I want to know that somebody is a little ridiculous enough to show up at church at 3 o'clock to pray for my need. And these guys, these guys are going to church at 3 o'clock, and as they approached the temple, a man that was lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. The writer of the book of Acts, his name is Luke, and the Bible tells us that he's a physician. And so as a physician, he's, he's recording details that are important to him. He's recording things that help him identify what the symptoms point towards. The first thing he's recording is that this is like the middle of the day. Like the, the middle of this guy's there. And not just in the middle of the day at 3 o'clock. It says that he was there every day. Luke is pointing this out. This is not some, uh, some plant with, with a wheelchair that they brought to some revival service somewhere so they could pretend like he was, you know, able to walk again. This is not a fake. Like this is a guy that the people of Luke's day had seen at the temple every day. They knew, in fact, later they recognize him. They're like, aren't you the one that's not supposed to be able to walk? Like, he's saying, this guy's there all the time. And the next thing he says is, this guy has, has he's gathered people around him to accomplish a goal for his life. He's got people that bring him to the gate every day. And when he gets there, he, he asks for money. If you ask me, this is a very sharp man. This is a man that has learned how to be reasonable with what his life has turned out like. This is a guy that, that has discovered how to manage his life. And, and can I just tell you that even though it says he, he went to the temple every single day and did the exact same thing every single day through his own routine, God is about to interrupt his routine with a ridiculous expectation. You may have your patterns, you may have your rhythms, but can I just tell you that you serve the kind of God that can interrupt you in the middle of your patterns with a ridiculous moment, an unreasonable moment. And this man is very reasonable. He, he, he understands that as a man that has been lame since he was a child, he doesn't have the, the, the physical body that can accomplish some of the things that other people can accomplish to, to bring in finances to be able to eat and live. And so what he does is he, he uses his disadvantage as his advantage. And so he's at the temple gates using his disadvantage as an advantage to be able to receive money at the temple gates. I, he, he's not just reasonable. He's, he's also quite strategic because he's asking for money right outside the church doors. Like, what better place, if you're going to ask for money, than right outside the church doors? As, as people are coming in or going out, they're expecting to have communion with God. They're expecting to have a conversation with God. And we would, we would expect that people are going to be more generous coming in or out of the temple. In fact, in his day, there would be laws that would require, that would demand generosity from them. So this man is not just reasonable, he's... He's strategic with the cards life has given him. 
But the real irony of the story is that while this man is being reasonable and, and while this man is using what he's got to get through life, he is outside the temple asking for money while the people inside the temple are praying to the God that can heal him. He, he's outside asking for physical things when the God that can answer those needs are or is inside the temple. I just wonder if, if some of us have ever been in the same situation. Because this guy, this, you, you see this, right? This guy, it's not that he doesn't believe in God. He does. This is one question we have to answer is, do we, is God? Do we believe in God? This man, I would say, is, is saying yes. The next question is, is can God? Can God do something in my life? I think so many of us, as we see what God does in the lives of others, we would say, yeah, like it's, it's a reality. I see God working. But the third question is this, will God? And, and somewhere this man has landed at the answer that God will not come through for me. And so I will sit on the outside of all that God has for me and figure it out on my own. He, he, he may believe God can, he just doesn't believe God will. You may be here today and you think, God can restore marriages, but I don't know that God will restore my marriage. God can deliver a drug addict. I just don't know if he will deliver my uncle. God can save the person with incredible resentment in their life. I just don't know if he's going to heal me. So the irony is that he's outside the temple asking for symptoms to be solved when the God that can answer the need is in the middle. Can I just tell you that today we still serve the same God? Like, like we serve the same God. As this guy is out there asking for coins, the God that spoke the world into existence is inside the room. Like this guy's out there asking just for a little bit of change, just to make it through the day. And I'm telling you that the God who, who put the earth on its axis, he's right there ready to meet needs. But this man is so focused on the symptoms that he's unable to encounter God. And we do this. We just get our little jar and we say, I, I, I'm going to be around, I'm just not going to encounter. I, I, I'm just, I just need a little bit. I just need enough to make it through. I, I, but I'm not going to trust God to really restore things in my life. I, I'm not going to trust God to really come through. I, I just need enough to make it through the day. And can I tell somebody that... The God you serve is not, not like some good luck charm that you just sort of add on to your life. He's not just some sort of hopeful idea. But the God you serve is the kind of God that answers ridiculous prayers. And you have a choice. You can just hold out the jar and ask for symptoms to be resolved. Or you can ask for a God that can really reach in and heal and deliver. Because I know what God's plan is for your life. 
I may not know all the details of God's plan for your life, but there's this time in the history of Israel when the northern portion of the nation had been taken off into captivity and then the southern half of the nation was in process of being taken into captivity. And, and all hope seemed lost. It, it felt as though there was nowhere left to turn. They were, they were being destroyed, and, and God gives them this little hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. What do you mean plans, God? We're, we're being taken as slaves into a different country. No, 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 I have plans for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. But we get reasonable. We listen to the YouTube person that says, don't trust that kind of a scripture. Don't, don't try, that, that's just, that promise is not for you. No, that promise is for every single person that is being taken out in captivity. Every single person that's walking through the middle of despair. I'm telling you, you might be walking through financial hardship. You might be walking through your kids losing their minds. And I'm telling you, God has a plan for you. A hope and a future. What he's saying is don't, don't think that reasonable looks like I'm just going to keep my position and just hold out for just scraps because God has a plan. A couple of years ago, I, I went to Israel, which was incredible, and I can't wait to go again. And when we flew to Israel, we, uh, we flew out of San Francisco, from San Francisco to Tel Aviv. It was a single flight, and I believe it was about 14 and a half hours. It may have been a little bit longer than that, just a single flight. And it was, I thought, I thought a, a four-movie flight was a long flight. Try like a 20-movie movie, 20-movie movie flight. That's, that's how you measure flights is how many movies you can watch in the flight. <clears throat> and, and so I, I get on the plane, and, and as I, I go to the back of the plane, and I quickly realize that, that this flight is going to a foreign country. So nobody on this plane speaks my language to start with. So I'm not going to have anybody to talk to, and I'm, I'm getting... I'm sitting down in the back, and I've got, I'm sitting kind of in the middle of a, of a whole row. And um, as I'm watching people come in, the plane's just filling up and filling up. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is okay, who am I going to sit next to? I'm just praying, like, God, don't let me, like, whatever you do, don't let me sit next to a baby. Like, just, just keep all the mothers over there. Like, like, I get it. I got all the patience for you. If you're a mother flying, I'm praying for you. Just don't sit next to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm just praying and... <clears throat> And the plane's filling up, and, and I start to notice everybody, like everybody that's coming in, I'm just, I, I'm just like praying, don't sit next to me, don't sit. And they all keep filing in, sitting everywhere else. And they, they end up like the entire plane is full. And no more people are trickling in. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is amazing. I start to look around, and I realize like I'm, I'm the only person on the plane with a whole row to themselves. Everybody else, every seat is taken except for the two on either side of me. So I'm, like, I'm just like, oh, I'm like having a little Holy Ghost party by myself. And, and the pilot comes on and he's like, at this time, you can, you know, if there's any seats, you can. And I, I just quick like sprawl out. I put, all, put my stuff everywhere and, and the plane takes off. And, and after we're flying for a little ways, I, I get up and I walk up to the galley. And as I'm walking, I'm looking to see if anyone else has empty seats. And I'm realizing, like, I, 
I am the only one on this entire flight, like this jumbo jet flight. I'm the only one with a whole row, like just the blessings of God in my life. You know, it just, it just pays to live for God, somebody. Like, <clears throat> it was good. And it was at that moment I realized I better get back to my row so that nobody like snakes a seat in my spot. You know, so I, I get back down there and I'm, I'm sitting there and, and later on I start to nod asleep and one of my friends that I was flying with, he, he came back and, and snapped a photo of me. And so he, he takes this photo of me while I'm sleeping and I know, I see the gut, I see it, thanks. Uh, like I, you had to point it out. But um, he takes this photo of me and, and what's, what's so crazy about this is I'm the only one on the entire flight with a full row of seats. But I'm sleeping as though I only have one seat. <laughs> I mean, I probably looked ridiculous to everybody else on the plane. They're like, I wish I had those seats. Like, I would sprawl. If, if I had what he had, I'd sprawl out. But the truth is, I was living in a three-seat world with a one-seat mind. And, and how many of us, we serve a three-seat God, but the way we view him is as a one-seat God. I'm saying he's got so much more for you. Like, he can do so much more in your life. Don't limit him to just a, a one-seater. He's a, he's a three-seat God. This is what the scripture says. It says, praise the Lord. Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget, listen, forget not all his benefits. There, there are studies showing that right now employees are not chasing the jobs with the highest pay. They're chasing the jobs with the best benefits. I'm just saying, sir, I'm just saying, ma'am, that you serve a God with benefits. So stop being reasonable in your faith and start allowing the benefits of God to develop in your life. Like you can live an overcoming life. You can live above what you're in right now because you serve a God with benefits. He says, uh, who forgives all your sin, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. I'm just telling somebody today that you can have unrealistic, unreasonable expectations because the God you serve has benefits. Unfortunately, I think we, we, we stay outside of all that God has for us, and we just sort of manage the basics because it's just, maybe it's easier to not have real change in our lives. Maybe it's just more predictable to know what's going to happen if I do the same thing every day. Like, like maybe, let me say it like this, let me say it in a different way. And, and Maybe we 
we go through life with a jar just asking for the little bits because it works for us. Because if it, if it didn't work, you would stop doing it. But the truth is, like, like the drama that follows you, like, like the cloud of dirt that follows Linus, I'm not saying you like it. I'm not saying you like the way it feels. I'm not saying that it's what you want most. And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. But I'm saying the reason why it stays there is because at some level, it works. Uh, like I'm not saying you have enjoyed having conflict with every boss in your life. Just they, they never seem to be good enough people. But I'm saying at some level, there's, there's a scratch that it's itching. And I'm telling you, God, God's called you to live a life that's an overcoming life that's more than the jar. And what's scariest about the jar is that when, when you live a reasonable life and don't expect God for the unreasonable, there will always be other reasonable people that like the fact that you're reasonable because it makes their reasonableness seem reasonable. You're right. Your, your husband is a, a terrible person. And, and instead of working on that and let's get into counseling, let's just keep talking about it between the two of us. You, you're, you're right. She's not worth forgiving. Just forget about her. Write her off. She's, she's not worth keeping. Just, just hold on to that resentment because it gives you power in the moment. Just you're going to find other people that are absolutely okay with the, unre the reasonableness of your life. Like, yeah, he, your boss is a jerk. I can't believe that he would expect you to show up at work on time. <laughs> Every day. So ridiculous. But the truth is we, we do, don't we? We find other people, and they just keep filling our jar with more reasons to stay reasonable in our relationship with God. Your marriage is rough. It's just that's all you can expect out of your marriage is what you got. So you better just go find some boys. Go hang with the boys. Go spend all your time there rather than seeing God do a miracle in your marriage. We sit at the gate asking for money when we could be asking for a miracle. I think many of us, we, we, we don't ask for the miracle because we, we just believe that we've wasted too many years of our life at the gate. But you don't understand, preacher. It's just been this way in my life for so long. 
there's no reason it would ever change. Like, I've struggled with alcoholism for so long. There's just no reason it would ever change. And when I get around my friends, they say, like, that makes, like, just go with it. Just kind of do your thing. And I'm telling you, like, there's more for your life than what you've experienced so far. Like, can I tell somebody today that, like, the latter years of your life, I just believe are going to be better than the beginning years of your life. Like, like I think there's a promise from God for somebody in this room that what you've experienced is not what you will experience, that, that God has a plan and a future for your life. And you may be stuck in addiction, and you may be stuck in a cycle, but I'm telling somebody today to put down the jar and allow the God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence to speak into your life because he can heal you and he can restore you today. The Bible says he that he whom the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Do you know what the difference between free and free indeed is? Earlier this year in Virginia, four convicts escaped. Did you guys know this? Four convicts escaped prison in Virginia this year. Do you guys remember that? And like, like maybe, maybe like, you had, like your mom who lives in California was like, I think they're in my backyard. No, Virginia. <laughs> Those convicts were free. But they weren't free indeed because they spent every last minute looking over their shoulder. And we got men and women that free, they've had a moment with God, but they haven't allowed them to transform their lives. And so they spend every last minute looking over at the past, looking over, looking over the shoulders, just hoping that the past, like what the decision you made 20 years ago doesn't creep back up on you. And I'm just telling somebody today that you serve the kind of God that doesn't want you just holding out for, for a coin at the gate, but he wants to make you free indeed. It goes on and it says this as the band would come. It, it, it says in, in verse 4, it says, Peter and John looked at him intently. And I, lo I love that <laughs> because I don't, I don't know what that means. Like I'm not saying this is the Greek word, but when I read the word intently, I think we need to do that more, like during altar call times when somebody's coming for prayer, just be like. <laughs> he's got a need and he's asking and they're just giving him the stare down, right? Like, <laughs> Peter was a good guy. Like he's the kind of guy you could build a church on. Like he loved Jesus, but he carried a pocket knife. Like a little sanctified, a little hood. You know what this church really needs? We need some ex-gang members. We need some ex-addicts. We need some people whose marriages are on the rocks, just struggling. We, we need some people that aren't afraid to tell others what God has done in their life. He stares down and, and then he pulls the classic move. He says, I forgot my wallet. So classic. He says... He looked at him 
And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. And Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. The answer to your need is Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. But you don't understand, my need is financial. I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus Christ. My need is emotional, Jesus Christ. My need is physical, Jesus Christ. My need is an addiction, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, can answer your need. He says, rise up and walk. got to understand, like, this guy has never been on his feet before. This man, this man has been lame since birth. And Peter's asking him to do something different. He's asking him to do something unreasonable. It is unreasonable to ask someone who's been lame since birth to stand and walk. His legs are not developed. His ankles are not strong enough. And he's saying, the answer to your need, Jesus is here, but he's going to just ask you to do something different. Because there's so much security in our lives when we just stay where we're at. I know what to expect. I, I think the, the hardest thing about standing up sometimes is, is that if I stand up, what will happen? Because if I stay down, I, I know how to find money. If I stay down, I know how to navigate life. But if I stand up, like, this guy has no work experience, no resume, no practical skills. If he stands up, his life changes. Like, I just don't know if I want to stand. Like, what will my marriage look like if I, if I lean into this with everything I've got? I just don't know what healthy looks like. I don't know what it's like to not have my addiction. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to walk without a bottle. Like, I'm just telling somebody what God wants to do in your life is unreasonable. And he can do it. He can meet every need in this room. The Bible tells us that his hand is not too short, that he cannot heal. His ear is not stopped, so he cannot hear. You serve the kind of God who wants to meet you today. Would you stand with me all across the room? This is the way your God operates, with unreasonable requests and expectations. He asks a man named Naaman to dip seven times in a river to heal a physical sickness. He doesn't say, take this pill twice a day for the next 14 days. He says, dip seven times in a muddy, insignificant river and I'll heal you. He tells 
the, the people to roll back the tomb from a man named Lazarus who they said he already stank. He was dead and he, he, he was already starting to stink. And Jesus says, roll back, be unreasonable. He, he takes mud and he spits in the mud and he puts it in the man's eye and says, like, go down to the, the pool, wash it out and you're going to be healed. I'm, I'm just saying you serve a God that doesn't expect you to remain reasonable. He's asking somebody today, would you allow him to transform your life? All across the room, would you just maybe raise your hands kind of in surrender to God with me? God, I pray right now that as we lay down our reasonable faith and we step towards an unreasonable expectation in you, I pray that you would meet us. God, I pray for the marriage right now that's in this room looking for a last moment of hope that they would find freedom in you. God, I pray for the person that has that's been bound by addiction in this room. God, that there would be a report of an addiction that is freed in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for the person that is struggling with depression and insecurity right now, that they would discover a new life in Jesus. Keep this the same heart posture. I've got one more group of people I want to talk to. Maybe for you, you just recognize that yes, you've been outside the temple. And what that looks like is, is you have you have just been very far from God. You, you have you have walked far from God. And you know that right now he's calling you to him. If that's you and you want to make your life right with God, would you put your hand up high so I can see it? No one's looking around. Come on, I see those hands. That's a good choice. You're in a room full of people that support you. Good choice. Here's what we're going to do. If you're one of those that raised your hand, I just want you to join me. We're going to repent and believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, or say that don't please God. And we're going to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he cleansed us from all sin, he makes us right with God. Pray something like this with me. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. The attitudes, the behaviors, the thoughts. I'm turning away from them right now. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. He was buried for three days, and when he rose, he rose with all power. So right now, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. 
Come on, church family. There's some people who just made the best decision of their life. Come on, we serve a God of unreasonable expectations. This week, don't just beg for little bits, but turn towards the God who can heal, deliver, strengthen. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.